Well, good morning again. Let's do it all over again. He is risen. All right. So, kids, I told you earlier, I'm going to need your help this morning. Okay? So I want to start this morning. Today's Easter Sunday. What's Easter about? A.B., what's Easter about, bud? Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. Yeah, so I want to talk about Jesus' life. We've been studying as a church the Sermon on the Mount and looking at Jesus' life um, and looking at Jesus' call for the kingdom. So what can you guys tell me about Jesus' life? Where did it start? Anybody? McKinley, can you tell me? Oh, everybody's going shy this morning, huh? Ozias, can you tell me? Did it start at Christmas? <laughs> wow, all right. It did. It did start at Christmas. Oh, good. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. What do you guys know about Jesus' parents? Jesus is the king, right? He's the king of heaven. He's the eternally begotten son of God. So he was probably born to rich and powerful people. No? Not rich and powerful people, Otto? Well, who was he born to? Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph then must have been really powerful, rich, important. No? No? Well, what were they? Were they... Kings and queen? No. They were poor. So Jesus was born to peasants. Were they from an important place? No. They were from a really small, unimportant place, weren't they? Probably when the king was born, all the important people, the rich people, came and bowed to him, right? Because he's the king. He's the son of God. Is that who came to Jesus? Is it? Kind of. What do you mean, kind of? Okay, the three kings, the three wise men did come. That's right. But who were, who were there first? Was Jesus born surrounded by rich, important people? Shepherds. Shepherds and animals, right? Does that sound really glorious and awesome? Huh. But he probably had a really awesome big crown, right? No? Not an awesome big crown? Not any crown. If, if there was a crown, what was the crown? It was like the hay that got stuck in his hair if he had any hair when he was born. Did you have any hair when you were born? Yeah? I saw a baby, uh, a newborn baby this past week. Moxie had hair. That's cool. Baby I saw this past week had a lot of hair. So Jesus was born, the king of heaven, in the lowliest of circumstances, right? So his life was probably pretty great too then, right? No? Man, Otto, you're like the Debbie Downer over here. It wasn't, it wasn't great? What was it like? Was it an easy life or a hard life? 
It was a hard life. It was a hard life. So Jesus is born, and he lives out in the sticks with a bunch of peasants, hicks from nowhere, nobody. And he lives the first 30 years of his life in obscurity, and then he starts to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And what happens? What does Jesus start to do? Yeah. He starts making the world better. How does he do that? By teaching them about the Father, yeah. What else, Ian? In teaching parables. Does he do anything else besides that? Yes, Lou? He heals people, right? So the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And what's the good news that he preached? Freedom. Freedom from the bondage and oppression of sin. Freedom from anger and lust and the love of money. Freedom from fear of man and fear of death. Y'all been afraid of people before? Yeah? Have you ever had somebody you know and love die? That made you a little afraid? Yeah. Jesus came to free us from the fear of death and the fear of men. He came to make us free to serve him, to serve the king, right? And so he spent three years healing and preaching and proclaiming good news. And then what did we celebrate last week? Do you remember the name of it? Okay, Good Friday was a couple days ago. We're not there just yet. Yep, Palm Sunday. That's right. So Jesus spends three years in the wilderness, like we talked about last week, gathering a people to himself from among the bywaters. Bywaters, is that the word I want? Byways. Thanks, yeah. The bywaters, where'd that come from? (laughs) Yeah, out out on the byways. The highways, the byways, right? Like the song, you know? Out in the sticks, not in the important places, among the rich, important people, but with the people that are outcasts and alone. And so they all come together, and on Palm Sunday, he rides into town, and they're all proclaiming, here comes the son of David, the king to his royal city, gentle and mounted on a donkey. And what does Jesus do when he gets to town? He comes in, everybody's looking for him in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, all the rich, powerful people want to kill him. But he comes in with an army of humble people. And then he goes right down to the center of town, and what does he do? He takes on all of the oppressors of the people. He makes a whip, and he turns out all the money changers from the, from the temple. He goes and he preaches, and he starts healing right in the middle of the temple. He comes to bring down the oppressors of the sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. But the oppressors aren't the Romans like people thought. They're the false teachers. They're the bad shepherds. So Jesus begins to just oppose them and expose them. He spends the whole week preaching against them. He calls them hypocrites. He says they preach but don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens around the people but they won't lift a finger to do anything about it themselves. They do everything to be seen and praised by men. They shut people out of the kingdom of heaven by their false teaching and hypocrisy. These are just things Jesus says in Matthew 23. 
You can see him there if you want. So they plan to kill him. But they can't kill him because the people are there and the people have been healed. Until Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends, comes and says, well, I can give you a, a way to get him at night when nobody sees and nobody knows. So then we come, Otto, to Good Friday. And what happens on Good Friday? He dies on the cross, that's right. Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of the people he spent three years discipling and loving and caring for. And then he's abandoned by absolutely everybody else. Everybody he's ever loved, everybody he's ever taught and cared for abandons him. And the people he came to save hold a mock trial, and they condemn him to death. The lips that he formed as God for his own praise mock him and scorn him. The hands that he made to do good works nail him to a tree and put on him a crown of thorns. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, left his throne in heaven, was born a little baby to peasants, was laid in a feeding trough and surrounded by the praises of the animals and the shepherds. He lived a life of lowliness and suffering. He was despised and rejected and betrayed and abandoned and tortured and killed. And here's the question we have to ask this morning. Why? Why? Why be born at all? Why suffer that kind of humiliation and degradation? Why suffer that kind of betrayal? Why suffer that kind of abandonment? Why suffer the torture and death? The reason is the resurrection. Jesus didn't just come to Jerusalem to unseat the establishment and tragically find himself betrayed. He came to unseat principalities and powers in heavenly places. He came to reverse the curse that Adam placed on all of us in the whole world through his sin and disobedience. Jesus came to conquer sin. He came to defeat death. The symbolism matters. Nobody saw it at the time, but think about it. How did we fall? Adam and Eve in a garden, right? Naked in a garden, deceived. They rebelled against God. They ate the fruit of a tree. And God sent them outside the garden and cursed the ground to bear thorns and thistles. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is betrayed in a garden, stripped naked. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. And he's hung on a tree. And he... He eats the fruit of the fall. He bears the curse on himself. Why? To establish himself as king of kings and lord of lords. And to make it possible for us to come to him as sons of our father in heaven. The father that Jesus himself came to proclaim and reveal to us. So that we can be forgiven of all of our sins, no matter how heinous. So our consciences can be unburdened. I was uh, 
I was speaking to a group of FCA students this past Friday, Good Friday, and somehow we got to talking about our consciences. Y'all remember the first time you felt really guilty? Like really like, oh, I've done something and I am wrong? I remember all kinds of little things, like just to being, I don't know how old, like three, four years old, like stealing candy from the cookie jar and then just like, <gasps> I've done something wrong. You know, it's just silly, right? Small thing. We all have those moments and have had those moments in our lives where we lie awake on our beds and remember the wrong things we've done and the people we've hurt and feel like, man, that weight, something I can't bear, right? So how do we deal with that weight? All our lives is a conspiracy to just try to deal with that weight, right? That's it. All our lives, we know deep down something is wrong, we are wrong, and we bear this weight that we can't shake at least not when we're alone and we think about it. So what do we do? We just keep ourselves from ever being alone, right? We sleep at night with this guy on our nightstand. And what's the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning? From the first moment we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, and everything we do throughout the course of the day, every spare moment, we fill up with distractions so we don't have to think about anything that matters, anything that's eternal, anything that has to do with our soul and God. Right? And it's not that these things are bad. The phone is a great tool. I have one right here. It's in my pocket. I'm as guilty as anybody first thing in the morning. Okay? But, That weight, those moments where you deal with the fact that actually you're kind of a terrible person. <laughs> you know, actually, I've really hurt people. Actually, I've sinned against God. That's a weight. You know, and our phone and our, uh, as a distraction, alcohol and drugs and sex and all the things that we turn to, it doesn't matter what it is. It's what we turn to, right? And then if we can't deal with it for long enough, what do we begin to do next? Begin to blame people. We, begin, we can't bear the weight ourselves, so we look around for who we can blame, right? Oh, the reason I feel this weight is because some preacher made me feel guilty as a kid, right? Oh, the reason I feel this weight is because actually my parents are terrible and they did me wrong. Oh, the reason I feel this weight is because society is lined up against me and I am a victim of society, right? Nobody can bear that weight for us. And we can't bear it ourselves. We're too small and we're too weak. And we know deep down that God is God, that we've sinned, that we've failed. We're not strong enough to stand before him. We're not clean enough. We're not pure enough. We're not holy enough. That's the good in Good Friday. Jesus came to bear the weight of our sins. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says he made him who sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a good trade. It's a good trade. Jesus came so we can be free. Actually free. Free from our anger and free from our lust and free from our faithlessness and free to love as we have been loved and free to forgive as we have been forgiven, free to live before the face of our Father in heaven without condemnation, without fear of condemnation, without fear of men, without fear of death. For if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And here's the proof. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is go going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that Jesus did it because the tomb is empty, because he rose on the third day, and because he is still risen, still living today in heaven. Sin and death and the devil have lost. Jesus has won. And Jesus is winning, and Jesus will keep on winning. All authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to him, and the nations will bow down. And that's our job. So how? What about us? What about us this morning? What's our job? Our job is to follow in his footsteps, to bear our crosses, 
to face down our sins and temptations, to accept the life of small deaths and sacrifices and betrayals and abandonments. We pack our bags and we leave our friends and our church and our school and we move to a new city because Jesus came to us and told us to go. It's what all of Jesus' followers have been doing for thousands of years now. For thousands of years, men and women have embraced the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection is the reason. The Apostle Paul gave up everything in his life, and he suffered tremendously throughout the course of his life. When he was writing to the church at Philippi about it, he said, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is why we're here this morning in the Young Men's Christian Association in a city on a river, on a continent, on the other side of the world that wasn't even discovered when Jesus said go, worshiping him together this morning. That's why we're here. That's why we join fledgling church plants and renew our commitment to live life together with other sinners who hurt us and fail us and sin against us and who we have the privilege of hurting and failing and sinning against. That's why we look at our own deaths, the deaths of those that we love with faith and with hope. It's why we plant their bodies in the ground like seeds, because we have hope to be raised and transformed into something we could possibly imagine. That's why we mourn and we weep and we pray with hope and with joy because Christ has conquered the grave because death really has lost its sting. So the call this morning is to take heart and have hope for yourself, for your sins, for your weaknesses, for your children, for your failures, for this church plant, for God's kingdom in Evansville and in this world, because for 2,000 years, Christ's power has been on full display. It's there in the history books, and we are the proof. We're here worshiping together this morning because of that, because of the resurrection. That work is going to continue to grow and expand. And so our job is to take heart and have faith, and endure to the end. Through the hardships, through the suffering, through the pain. Some of you in this room have suffered great loss for the sake of Christ. And you need encouragement to hold fast to Jesus. And here's your reason. The reason is the resurrection. The reason is that Jesus held fast for you. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame.
He's not ashamed to own you as his children. He wasn't ashamed to go naked to a cross for you. He wasn't ashamed to be born as a baby. He wasn't ashamed to live among peasants, to be surrounded by the poor and the weak and the lowly, the blind and the lame and the leper. And he's not ashamed of you as long as you won't be ashamed of him. He held fast for you to the end. And the reason was the resurrection. Because at the end of darkness and death, there is resurrection. Death ends in life for all who belong to Jesus. It's a hard life full of sin and suffering. But it ends with the victory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over sin, over death, over the world. Because he is risen. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us here this morning and for allowing us to worship our risen king. Have mercy on us, we pray. Help us to trust you and to honor you and to endure hard things for the sake of your kingdom. Help us to hold fast to the resurrection. We thank you this morning for your love and your kindness and your power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.